as we regather here in this place, let's consciously bring our attention, bring our presence to the Holy Spirit who is here, who has prepared this time, who has called us, who has gathered us and brought us together. As we prepare ourselves for worship, we confess these things. Faithful God, we come into your presence with thanksgiving, deeply grateful for the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown towards us, your people. When we call out to you, you answer. When we are exhausted, you give us strength to go on. When we find ourselves in trouble, you are there, standing beside us. And when we come before you with gratitude and praise, offering you the awe of our hearts and our lives, you listen. Open our eyes to see and know you hear among us. Open our ears to recognize your voice. Lord, you are always with us. You surround us with goodness. Your love is a mystery. But we hunger for certainty and exhaust ourselves in search of what we already have in abundance. Open our eyes, God, to see we have everything in you. Lord, you have invited us to give up the weight of our performing in exchange for the lightness of your complete gift. We are known and loved by you. So teach us to practice compassion for ourselves and others, and in so doing, may we find an ocean of peace and gratitude in our hearts and in our homes and in our world. We ask all this, and we confess all this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the teaching team here. It's great to have people from the home state of Texas here with us. Um, yeah, I know. Sorry, Jeff. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, we're really glad you're here this morning. Look, y'all, y'all hear it all the time, or at least in regular intervals, that when we encounter a text, we say, if we don't understand this, we don't understand anything. But y'all, if we don't understand this, we don't understand anything. This week in our teaching team, in our lesson planning, as usually happens by grace, we start with an idea, we start with a direction, we start with where we think we're going, and by the end of the hour and a half, a whole new way has opened up to us, a whole different direction than what we started with. That's what happened this week with this text. And it happened to me a number of years ago when I read a book called Invitation to a Journey by the late author Robert Mulholland Jr., and in that book on spiritual formation, he writes about the practices that are essential for us to develop into Christ-likeness. And he puts it this way. He says, spiritual formation is the act of being conformed to the image of Christ 
for the sake of others. And I have to tell you, when I first read that, it offended me. Not because I necessarily thought it's bad to do things for other people, but I had always thought of spiritual formation as something that I did for myself. Or in maybe a more unselfish moment, something I did for God. I had grown up being taught to read my Bible, to pray, to share with other people, to keep myself pure, to be morally upright, as a way of me somehow attaining something for me, as a, as a rule for living, as a way to regulate my behavior in such a way that was about me. And then I come across this definition, and it says, no, it's not about you. Spiritual formation is becoming conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Well, that, that just didn't sit right with me. But the more I meditated on it, the more I considered it, the more that I read the author's description, the more, one, it convicted me. But two, I began to see that that's exactly why we do it. Now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been studying covenant how God reveals himself, God reveals God's self to us through these, they're more than promises, they're, they're these all-encompassing statements of existence with Noah, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Joseph, with the people of Israel, and now we see with Israel through Moses, he establishes a new one. And we see that in this covenant, he also gives us a way to live into that covenant. We're going to talk about the Ten Commandments today, and we're going to see how they're much more than a set of rules. They're much more than just a way for you to get your life right or to behave well. But they are a concrete reflection of who God's people are to be for the sake of the world. Well, let's look at the text. Exodus 19 is where we're reading from, if you want to follow along. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Last week, let me pause just for a moment. Last week was so incredible to hear the testimony because deliverance like this didn't stop with Israel being delivered from Egypt. But it happens corporately and individually, continually, as God delivers each of us and all of us. And he goes on, he says, And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So these are the words you will speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of Israel, set before them all the, worlds, all the words that the Lord had commanded him to. Now, stop for a minute, because we're very familiar with what comes next. We're very familiar with Moses coming down from the mountain, Charlton Heston, right? coming down with the tablets and giving the Ten Commandments. 
But just imagine for me, with me, for a moment. Put yourself in that position. What would you logically expect to come next? 400 years, you've been a slave. 400 years, your passions, your dreams, your desires. For 400 years, you've been beaten up, bullied, deprived. And you find, you're finally delivered. Well, maybe I'm the only selfish one in here. But to me, the logical response would be, I have delivered you out of slavery. Now, have a party. Like, hey, now's the time to enjoy everything that you, that you were deprived of. Hallelujah. Take it easy. 400 years of suffering and slavery, it is time for you to kick back. It is time to rest. It is time to finally do all those things you wanted to do but never could. Is, is anybody else, does that resonate with anybody else? Does anybody else understand? Can you understand that, that maybe coming out of slavery where rules were enforced upon you, it seems a bit odd that the first thing that happens is you're given another set of rules. But that's exactly what happens. So let's, let's try to understand what's going on here with this. So as we continue... God spoke all these words. He said, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is, below, or that is on the earth, beneath it, or that is in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, and showing covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord God. On it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your cattle, or the resident, or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and your mother that you may live a long time in the land the Lord has given to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, nor anything that belongs to your neighbor. Rule after rule after rule after rule, just straight out of 400 years of slavery. Why? Why? Why would that be necessary? Why would that 
be good. <clears throat> Again, because in our society, our conception of freedom is freedom from rules. It's freedom from restraints. It's freedom from denying things that we want to do. And yet we see a very different pattern here. Well, I think there's some reasons for this, and I think as we explore them, we're going to see not only is this logical, but it is essential. The first thing is this. The Ten Commandments give form to our covenant response. You see, when God makes his covenant to us, we've talked a lot about this, it's not about contract. It's not if, if, then. You do this, then I'll do this. God says, hey, I'm going to establish this covenant no matter what, I won't break it. I'm promising by my name to do these things. Period. Zero. Nothing, nothing required in response to earn that. However, there is a response that lets us enter into that. There is a response that's demanded on our behalf for us to experience that. Look, God's, God's offer is on the table. It's already out there. No takebacks. But for us to experience that or to encounter that, there is a response that is necessary. That's why he says, obey my covenant. As we did in the teaching team, I talked. You would expect it to say, if you obey my commandments... But it doesn't say commandment in the first part of the text. It says, if you obey my covenant. This keeps us from just mere rule following. This keeps us from just checking the list on things. We are entering in and obeying, in a way, a relational dynamic. Not just a formulaic give and take. And so when we see this, when we see these commands given out, when we see these rules given, these are the things that are to define us. You see, our story has to be lived out. Our relationship, our testimony, our witness with God is not something that we can transmit Theoretically, it has to be done experientially. We have to experience it as individuals, and we have to experience it as a people in order for it to be known and to be shared. So that's the first thing. These actions that define us help us to enter into and experience the covenant that God has already made with us. But the second thing is this. These Ten Commandments, along with other instruction in the Bible, teach us how not to live as slaves. But they teach us how to live as daughters and sons. Because slavery is not just geographic. Slavery is not just situational. You don't stop being a slave 
just because you come out from a slaveholder's authority. Time and time again, history has shown us that slavery is a way of conceptualizing yourself. It's a way of considering yourself in the world. In some ways, this is why we see so much So many people who go to prison and then quickly are returned to prison afterwards almost because they want to be there because it's familiar to them. Let me tell you, all of us are slaves to sin at some point. And that's not just something impressed upon us, that is something that we choose to behave as. After 400 years of living as slave, Israel didn't know how to be free. They didn't understand what it looked like to live without oppression, without the enforcement of the slaveholders. Not having someone there to tell you what to do doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to know what to do. That's again, that's a common misconception that we have in our society that, hey, if we just leave people alone, If we just take the rules away, everything will be all right. Everything, everybody will know how to behave, how to act. Y'all, nothing could be further from the truth. Anarchy, chaos, abuse would run rampant. We need to be taught how to live as free people. That's what covenant does. See, we simply don't know how to do this. Our brokenness makes it unnatural to live as free people. But covenant, covenant means we don't have to bow down to the idols of the world and all the petty, petulant, and capricious gods of this world. When God says, love me, Don't use my name in vain. Don't make any other image. He's teaching us that we do not have to be captive to the idols of this world. We don't have to bow down to those other idols. We don't have to live by their rules. Covenant means that we don't have to live our lives. Covenant means we do not have to live lives of scarcity that causes us to normalize lust and greed and theft and envy and lying. It's not so much don't murder, it's you don't have to murder. You don't have to lie. It's not so much, hey, don't look at that person's stuff or that person's relationship or who they're with. It's, you don't have to do that. All that has been provided for you. You don't have to go lusting your way and lying your way through this world. But there is another way to live. The Ten Commandments give us an imagination of abundance and of peace that gives us the freedom not to do those things. The commandments mean that we don't have to live our lives of violence, 
that causes us to rape and to murder and to make that a matter of course. We are freed from that, but we have to be taught that. It's not natural to us. Because we are inundated in a world that says, if you don't grab it, you don't get it. If you don't lie about it, you won't have it. All of us are being called out of that kind of slavery. And that kind of slavery is destroying us. Covenant establishes, establishes for us the foundation of being able to live truly, truly live whole and holy, joyfully and open-handed lives to the glory of God and for the sake of others. Finally, the Ten Commandments show the world who God is through us. The Ten Commandments, as, as Donnie said in the teaching meeting this week, the lesson planning, it's our brand. This is, this is who we're to be known for. People who are free, joyfully obedient as a way of expressing our gratitude and freedom. A being of understanding who we are in God. It's, it's a way of understanding. It's not just... It's not just a way of being, but it's a way of thinking about ourselves, is that we don't do those things. We're not controlled by those things. We are not people of violence and of lust and of lying and of greed, because we understand who we are. We understand what God has done for us. We understand what it means not to be slaves. That's our brand. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be demonstrating to the world. Because the world desperately needs that demonstration. I'm going to bring it down in a real simple concept here. I was talking with a dear friend a number of years ago, and he's about 10 years older um, than I am. And at the time, he was really struggling with exercising. And, um, and we, so we were on a walk one day, and he was just, he was saying how it was just getting harder to exercise, and he just didn't really like doing it. And at the time, he was starting to have his first grandkids. And I, uh, I stopped him, and I said, brother, you're not exercising for yourself. You're exercising for those grandkids. You're exercising so that you can have the capacity to be there for them. You're exercising so that you can play with them as they grow older. You're exercising so that, you, so that they will know their granddad and everything about him. Totally changed his, his way of viewing it. Totally changed how he approached the workouts after that. Y'all, listen, we... Yeah, we don't do these things because it's bad. They are bad, okay? Don't, don't do the Ten Commandments. Don't break the Ten Commandments, okay? They're bad. Obey them. 
But we're not just doing that so that we somehow are righteous, so that we somehow get to check the list, so that some, somehow we're morally better than other people. We do it because the world is dying without that example. Because the world is tearing itself apart with lust and anger and greed and violence and lying of enslaving each other, abusing each other, lying to each other. And there's no imagination of any other way to live except to see it lived out in a group of people. A book won't do it. A movie won't do it. A story won't do it. It has to be seen, demonstrated in a group of people. And that group of people is the church. We're it. There is no other group that does that. We're the ones who are called to do that, to be that light, that salt, that example. It's us. Now, here's the pragmatic part of all this. <clears throat> As I said in the beginning, I used to think of spiritual formation, those things that I did, those activities that I took, as being something that were about me for my prim primary benefit. The thing is, when we aim at doing something for ourselves, we'll miss We'll never get there. When we do something for someone else, not only will we be able to do that for them, but we will get it as well ourselves. Our own development will only happen when we take the focus off ourselves. It's a paradox. Making ourselves the center means we'll never get the goal. Making someone else the center means we can get that and ourselves thrown in with it. And sometimes we just have to say it out loud to help us. In your lesson this week, in the study guide, the learning guide, you're going to see an activity that says, start to practice just saying out loud when you do something, when you do something that is in line with keeping this covenant, with obeying this covenant. You say, Jesus, I do this for the sake of others. When you don't click on that website, when you give sacrificially, when you choose not to respond in anger, practice saying, Jesus, I do this for the sake of others. It, it doesn't come naturally. Because we are all being delivered out of the Egypt of our brokenness. We are all of us and each of us being delivered out of the slavery to sin and self. And we need to learn how to walk in obedience to the covenant. Phallix and the worship team will come up. We are going to engage in some of those practices of spiritual formation here corporately. 
One of those is taking communion together. In taking communion together, we proclaim the mystery of Christ come, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ coming again. In the practice and discipline of offering, we're recognizing that we are all connected. None of us is without need, and none of us is without something to share. Recognizing what we have, that all we have is given, that we live in abundance and is for the blessing of others. We practice the discipline of reflecting and praying because we don't want to put our trust in the words of a person but in the presence of the Spirit. And we want to be able to discern what is true and good by the Spirit and in this community, not just on the basis of words. And we worship, we practice worship to confess the truth, to tune our spirits to the reality of God's abundance. And not to sit passively back and just expect things and take it as a matter of course, but to respond with gratitude. And I want to add one more thing. I said earlier that Israel was delivered from something to something. They were delivered from slavery to the covenant, but let's add one more on there. They were delivered from slavery to the covenant for the sake of the world. When you take this communion today, you're being called from something to something for someone. That's why we do this. Come and take communion. It is given to you freely. It delivers us. It is symbolic and in a very real a practice of our deliverance. And yes, it is for us. It is for the establishment or the recognition of the covenant. But it is also for the world. It is also for others. So take it in that spirit today. And thank you for being here.